Well, I'll tell you what, that was uh, super special, wasn't it, to see all those faces? In fact, last night, Joel and I were talking, and that was just really emotional mm -hmm. to see the faces of many of you that we haven't seen for a while, because typically, we can come up here, and like right over there, right over there, that's where Rick and Lisa Hanks sit, and, and I miss seeing them. Yeah, you know, someone I miss seeing is Todd and Sona Gilmore. Miss seeing you guys. Oh, and, and right down here, uh, Gordon and Marge Lucas, they, they sit in the same seats. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think they actually own those seats right, right down there. I miss seeing them. Tom and Cindy Watterson, I miss seeing you guys. And uh, Dennis and Cheryl Leonetti have been mm. around this church forever, mm. and they normally sit right up there in the mezzanine mm. section. Man, I miss seeing them. I miss seeing uh, Lou and Linda Sims. I miss seeing you guys bright and early at the Series Community Center on a Sunday morning. And then, and then usually right up here, we, we'd see Andy Harless, but him and his wife, they, they sit right down here, and I, I miss seeing those guys. You know who I miss seeing? I miss seeing Brian and Brandy Peterson. Brandy leads all of our family ministries on the Series campus. I miss seeing you guys. And then, of course, you got Lee and, and Sandy and Anderson been around here forever, and they're like the bishops of the balcony. Their, their seats are right back there. They never move. They're right back there. You know, I miss seeing the Wanzos. The Wanzos are a part of our communion prep team. I miss seeing you guys. <laughs> Marvin and Gail Doltman, those are his seats, their seats, right down there, have been for, I don't know, 20 years now. You know what I miss seeing? I see, miss seeing the Marquez family. Hector always brought his boombox. Six in the morning, the Sirius Community Center filled with worship music in a government building. It was so awesome. Hey, I'll, I'll tell you what, Rob and Sandy Veneman. They normally sit right down here, but they're kind of sneaky. They'll move around. You got to kind of get here in the morning and find out where they're at, but I miss seeing them. I miss seeing you, Isaac Gibbs, our stage manager, making sure everything's dialed in. I miss seeing you. Oh, and the crooks. The whole family sits right down over here, and I sure miss seeing them. <laughs> Bright and early on a Sunday morning, 6 a.m., Uriel Perez and his daughters helping to set up. I miss seeing you, girls. I miss seeing you, Uriel. Hey, I want you to know, we, we could do this for forever because we really do miss seeing all of you and it is a it is a bummer to come down here and really the place is empty but uh, the good news what does make us excited is that we know that there are literally thousands of you right now gathered in your homes and your apartments all over our city our county our state our nation literally all over the world and Joel and I have uh, a message that we believe is gonna be super encouraging, is gonna bring a lot of hope, and, and is gonna change maybe one or two or 10 of your lives today. So let's get into the message, We're okay? gonna have a great morning. So um, here's what we're gonna do. I am gonna set this up in a, in a very unique way, okay? I think we have just come through the, the greatest week ever recorded in human history. And I'm gonna take us back and I'm gonna walk us through that greatest week. Because Joel then is gonna talk about the greatest day in history. And unless you understand the greatest week in history, you'll never understand the greatest day in history. And then Joel's gonna end it by giving some of you the opportunity to make this the greatest day in your life, okay? So let's, let's get into this. Um, I want us to, 
kind of think back, okay, to today's Sunday, and I, and I want us to, to go all the way back. So today's Sunday, Saturday, okay, Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, you know, Tuesday, Monday, it's Sunday. I'm taking us back a week, okay? I want to talk about the greatest week in history. But before I, I, I get into that, I got to lay a little bit of a foundation, okay? Throughout the, the ministry of Jesus, we read this phrase. He said, my time has not yet come, okay? Jesus says that phrase a number of different times throughout the Gospels. In John chapter 2, it says this. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, and here it is. Jesus said, my time has not yet come. Jesus is gonna repeat that in John chapter seven, in John chapter eight, my time has not yet come. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said that? What did Jesus mean when he says throughout the gospels, my time has not yet come? Well, it simply means that Jesus was on a divine time schedule. That's what it means. And you had to write that down, that Jesus was on a divine time schedule, which is why he often said, my time has not yet come. In other words, God had a plan for Jesus's life, and that plan had a particular order to it, and nobody was gonna alter the plan or the order of that schedule. It wasn't time yet for Jesus to be betrayed. It wasn't time yet for Jesus to be arrested. It wasn't time yet for Jesus to go through the mockery of a, tri uh, a trial. It wasn't time yet for Jesus to be beaten to a pulp. It wasn't time yet for Jesus to be put up on a cross and die. And just by the way, Jesus is still on a divine time schedule and the next thing up, on that time schedule is what we call the rapture. Listen to what Peter said in Acts chapter two. Peter said, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as well you know. But God knew what would happen, and in His prearranged plan was and His prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. In other words, God had a plan for the life of Jesus, just like He has one for you in, in your life. Jesus had a, a plan. There was an order to the life of Jesus. And I want you to understand that as I walk through these last days of the life of Jesus, the greatest week in his life, I want you to remember that God is in complete control of it all, okay? 
Just remember, it's gonna seem like this last week of Jesus's life was chaotic. It's gonna, it's gonna seem like everything's spinning out of control, but it's not, okay? God was in complete control of everything that we're gonna look at, okay? But to understand the greatest day, okay, Joel's gonna talk about that. You have to understand the greatest week, all right? <clears throat> so, when you get to the last week of Jesus' life, something changes. In fact, listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 12. Jesus said, the hour or time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Remember, up until this point, Jesus said, my time has not yet come. My time has <coughs> not yet come. My time has not yet come. Now, Jesus says the hour or time has come. What does this mean? Well, it means that Jesus is now gonna set into motion a number of things that will eventually lead up to his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and his death, and ultimately his resurrection, which is the greatest day in the history of the world. But I want you to remember, God is in absolute control. Okay, over everything that's going to happen in this final week of the life of Jesus <coughs> or the greatest week in his life, okay? Now, as we go through this, I want you to know he's doing it for you. Everything we're gonna look at, this greatest week is all done for you. The greatest day is all done for you. Maybe to make today the greatest day in some of your lives right now, Okay? So, this is what I want to do. We're going back 2,000 years, okay? It's now Sunday, okay? He's going to die on Friday. He's resurrected on Sunday, but we're going to go back. We're back to Sunday. Sunday was a, a day of great celebration. We call this Palm Sunday. Pastor Joel preached on that last weekend, and it was a great message. Remember, this is the final week in the life of Jesus, in five days, he's going to be crucified, okay? So it's Sunday. He's going to be crucified on Friday. Now on Sunday, Palm Sunday, everybody from all over the region was making their way to the city of Jerusalem. All of the Jews would have been heading to Jerusalem for what it was called the Passover celebration. It was really a, a great party. And, and there may have been as many as two million people making their way to this little tiny town called Jerusalem. It really wasn't a very big city. And so they're coming for, from all over for this great celebration. And somewhere in the midst of this two million plus people coming to Jerusalem is Jesus. He's one of those people who's making his way to Jerusalem for the Passover. And when he gets about two miles out of town, he stops at a little, in a little village and he gets on a donkey and he rides the rest of the way into town. We call this Palm Sunday. Joel talked about it last weekend. If you didn't hear the message last weekend, you need to tune in, you need to go to our, our website and watch it because it's a, a great message. And so here you have Palm Sunday, everybody's coming into Jerusalem and somewhere out there on one of the roads is Jesus. And he's making his way 
into town, into Jerusalem, riding on this donkey. And as he makes his way down this road, the, the, the people that are lined up begin to hoop and holler. Man, they begin to, to scream, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I want you to know this was an incredible moment. I mean, it was a celebratory moment as people are, are yelling, Hosanna. They, they, man, this was, this was crazy. And in the crowd, in the midst of all of these people yelling and screaming for Jesus, were the religious leaders. They were part of the crowd. And they knew who Jesus was too. They, they knew what Jesus taught. They knew how he taught. They knew that the people loved Jesus. They, they knew that he had a great following. And these religious leaders hated him. They absolutely hated him with every cell in their bodies. And so this is Sunday. Okay, remember, Sunday was a, a day of great celebration. Okay, so after a long day, Sunday in Jerusalem, Jesus heads back to a city called Bethany and he sleeps for the night. And when he wakes up, it's now Monday, okay? And Monday was a day of great conflict. In Four days, Jesus is going to be on a cross, okay? But this is Monday, and Monday was a day of great conflict. So Jesus wakes up, and he makes his way back to Jerusalem, and when he gets there, he really upsets the, the religious leaders. In the midst of this great celebration, this Passover celebration, Jesus begins to stir up the, the hornet's nest. And one of the things that he does on Monday is he cleanses the temple of the money changers. And, and in Mark chapter 11, it says this. When they, talking about Jesus and his disciples, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, remember they went home to Bethany or they went to the city called Bethany. Now they've made their way back. Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And when the leading priests and the teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning on how to kill him. So Sunday, great celebration. Jesus goes home, comes back. And on Monday, he makes his way up to the temple and he begins to knock over tables, tables of the money changers and, and tables of those that were selling animals. And the question I want to deal with right now is why did he do that? What was the point of that? Well, as I said, imagine two million people making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. And these people all had to bring uh, an offering of uh, an animal, a sacrifice. Well, if you lived, you know, 10 miles away or 20 miles away or 30 or 40 miles, you, you didn't want to have to bring your animal with you. And so when you got to the temple, you would just purchase an animal there to sacrifice. 
You also had to bring a, a, a financial sacrifice. You had to bring some money to sacrifice also. Well, you may have lived in a, in a place that didn't use the money you had to bring into the temple, and so there were people there that would exchange your money, sort of like we do now. Uh, I've been to airports where I'm going into another country, and I exchange my American money for whatever the money is that I'm going to use in that country. Well, that's what these money changers were doing. And there was a, a fee involved. There was a, you had to pay a fee to change your money into the money that was needed for the temple. Well, guess what the religious leaders had done? They had gone to, the, to these people that were selling these animals and these money changers, and they said, hey, listen, everybody has to come for the Passover. This is a way for us to make some money. And so what they did was they started upping the prices of all the animals they were selling. They began to up the, the, the exchange fee for the money because they knew people had to buy the animal. They knew people had to exchange the money. And so the religious leaders were the ones who were in cahoots with these money changers. They were in cahoots with those selling an animals in the temple. And Jesus knew it. And it upset Jesus to know that people were coming to Jerusalem for this great celebration and the religious leaders were ripping everybody off. And so on Monday, wow, after a great day of celebration on Sunday, wow, he, he cleanses the temple. And now the religious leaders are really, really upset, really upset. Now remember, Jesus is doing this on purpose. He knows he's got to be on that cross on Friday. He knows it. And so he's beginning to put into motion some incredible things, okay? Now, after another night's sleep, Jesus wakes up, and it's now Tuesday. And Tuesday was a, a great day of teaching, okay? In three days, on Friday, he's gonna be hanging on a cross and he's gonna die, but it's Tuesday. Now, on Tuesday, Jesus tells a, a number of parables. He, he tells the parables uh, of the two sons and the, and the uh, parable of the tenants. He tells the parable of the ten virgins. He tells the parable of the talents. And the key passage is found in Matthew chapter 23, okay? In Matthew chapter 23, it's really this incredible sermon that he aims right at the religious leaders. It says this in verse one. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. Now he's talking to the crowds and the disciples, but the religious leaders, they're out there. Remember, they saw him knock over the money changers' tables. They saw him do all of that and cleanse the, the temple yesterday. And now he's gonna preach right to them. Verse two says, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their examples, for they don't practice what they teach. They, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. Look at verse 13. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Look at verse 15. What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you, you hypocrites. Look at verse 25. What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law and, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will become clean too. Look at verse 27. You, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you, you hypocrites? For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Wow. Do you think that the religious leaders were happy about this sermon? I mean, they're already upset that he cleaned the temple out, right? On, on Monday. And now here he is, just jacking up the religious leaders. There's no doubt that Tuesday um, was a day of great teaching. But I want you to remember, it's all a part of God's plan. This is exactly what God was doing. He knew Jesus had to be on the cross on Friday. And so he is setting into motion a number of things in this greatest week so that we can ultimately have the greatest day. Now, after Jesus rips up the religious folks, he continues teaching about the last days in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Then in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus warns his disciples of his upcoming death. And in Matthew chapter 26 also, he also tells the religious leaders, uh, also tells us that the religious leaders, they finally come up with a plan on how to kill Jesus, okay? So Jesus goes to bed, he wakes up, and now it's Wednesday. And Wednesday was basically a day of great demonic deals. Remember, in two days, Jesus is gonna be on the cross. Okay, Wednesday is the day that Judas made the biggest mistake of his life, and you can read about that in Matthew chapter 26. He makes a, a deal with the devil. That's what Judas did. Judas knew Jesus face to face. Judas had walked with Jesus day after day. G, uh, Judas heard most, if not all, of Jesus' you know, teachings. Jesus, uh, Judas was, was trained to be an apostle by Jesus himself. Judas was, was warned of sin's consequence by Jesus himself. And yet, despite all of these opportunities, Judas's life was a terrible tragedy. He sold his soul basically for 30 shekels of silver. And so Wednesday was a day of great demonic deals. Now it's Thursday, okay? Thursday was a day of great betrayal, okay? There's only one day left until we get to the crucifixion. There's only one day left until Jesus is gonna die on the cross, right? Now it's on Thursday that Jesus orders two of his disciples to make plans for the Passover meal, which is where he basically institutes the Lord's Supper. On Thursday, Jesus informs Peter that he's gonna deny him three times. And it's on Thursday that he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays. And it's in the garden that Jesus is betrayed by Judas and he's arrested. And you can read about that later in Matthew chapter 26. So the time had come. Only one day left until the crucifixion. Tomorrow's Friday. Tomorrow, Jesus is gonna hang on a cross. Friday was a day of death that led to life. 
And we had two gatherings here at Big Valley, right? Friday at 12 and seven to remember this. Friday was this incredible day where Jesus is hanging on a cross and he dies. Now on Friday, Jesus stands before Pilate as the crowd yells, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate has Jesus beaten to a bloody pulp and ultimately he puts Jesus on a cross. Now remember, this all happens on Friday. We call this Good Friday. And the reason why we call it Good Friday is because the story doesn't end on Friday. Sunday, you had this great celebration. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, this incredible week, the, the, the greatest week ever. And now on Friday, we have Jesus on a cross. Friday, Jesus dies. Friday, Jesus is put into a tomb. And the reason why we call it Good Friday is because the story doesn't end on Friday. Sunday's coming, which is the greatest day in history. Pastor Joel, come and tell us about that day. So as we consider this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter morning, that here we are still celebrating it thousands of years later, what, what makes this the best day ever? What happens on the best day ever? Well, to answer that question, we'll look at a text together. I want to encourage you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. And, and in these first 10 verses, it, it gives us some pretty significant indicators of what makes this the best day ever. Let's look at this together. This is Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. We'll stop right there for a second. So, so after Friday, they see Jesus laid in the tomb but the Sabbath is coming, and so they have to take a day to rest. And, and they went and they prepared spices and ointments, but they waited over a full day and came back then on that third day, on Sunday, the first day of the week. And we know that Mary is here, the other Mary is here, but there's, in the Gospels, it lets us know that there's at least five women and, and maybe more. There's a group of women who were mourning together because they were coming to see the tomb. They were coming to see a body that was dead, that was laid in the tomb, and they were bringing ointment and spices to treat the body, to serve Jesus one more time by preparing his dead body. We go on in the text, it says, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. So in this moment, we see that though this, this morning, it didn't start off as the best day ever for these women. These women were mourning. The one that they loved was dead, but God shows up in this mo moment. And the way God shows up, he shows up visually and he shows up audibly. And the, the very presence of the ground is shaking through an earthquake. And what happens? Well, we see what happens to, in verse four, it says, and for fear of him, the guards, the Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb, they trembled and became like dead men. That was one reaction to God showing up in this moment. But then we see in verse five, we see the angel of the Lord speak. It says, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. 
You see, in this moment, the women had much to be afraid of. You just heard Pastor Rick explain this greatest week in the history of mankind. Well, they had seen the anger of the religious leaders. They had seen the betrayal of Judas, one who was close to Jesus. They had seen the the brutality of the Roman soldiers. These women had much to be afraid of. And the first thing that comes out of the angel of the Lord as he speaks to them is, Do not be afraid. And that's how you know that you're on the best day ever because on the best day ever, fear is overcome by love because when the voice of the angel of the Lord comes and speaks, do not be afraid. It's not merely just identifying fear, identifying that fear exists, but it is replacing that fear with love. It's replacing that fear with the love that God has. And God is saying to these women in this moment, I love you. Listen to what uh, 1 John 4, 8 says in verse 8 and 18. It says, God is love. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You see, in this moment, we see the power of God show up, the angel of the Lord, and there's lightning and thunder, and there's earthquake. But we see the love of God show up because the power of God and the love of God, they show up with God. And in this moment, these women are experiencing the power and the love of God show up in their life like they've never experienced before. And though they had fear, it's being cast out and it's being replaced by the love that God has for them. Right before someone experiences love, they're often afraid. And you might be afraid right now. You might be fearful right now. And it's a sign that you're ready for the love of God to show up in your life. Because on the best day ever, fear is overcome by love. We continue on in our text in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse five. And the angel's still speaking here to the women. And the angel says, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Of course, that's who they seek. They saw on Friday, they saw him laid in the tomb. They came back with the spices and the ointment. They were going to treat the dead body of the one that they loved so much. And so, of course, that's, that's who they were seeking. They were seeking a crucified Jesus. But the angel continues on and new information shows up in this moment. He says, he is not here for he has risen As he said, and and the key here is, is as he said, Jesus apparently multiple times in the gospels, as you read through it, the angel is confirming here that Jesus foretold these women that he was going to rise again. He had told them, but they hadn't understood it until this moment when they see an empty tomb and the angel speaking and says, he's not here for he's risen, as he said, come, see the place where he lay, the very place where they were coming to treat the body, the dead body of Jesus with spices and ointments, that place now lay empty. And the angel says, look at the proof. There is no body here. He has risen just as he said he would. You know, the women, they were seeking something and they didn't find it. They, they came up empty because what they were looking for was a dead body. But what they were looking for is not what God wanted them to see. And they were looking for the wrong thing. 
And this is how you know it's the best day ever. Is number two is that on the best day ever, this emptiness, it stirs faith. He said, what do you mean emptiness stirs faith? Well, let's look at some of the gospel accounts of some of the other folks who in this moment saw the empty tomb. We, we read about Peter in Luke chapter 12, or Luke 24, verse 12. It says, Peter rose and ran to the tomb. And stooping in to look in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. So the, the clothes that would have wrapped the body of Jesus, he, he looks into the tomb, he sees those clothes laying by themselves, and it says that he went home and he marveled at what had happened. He sees those linen clothes and it stirs something in him to where now he's marveling before God at what he has seen. We read about John in chapter 20, verse eight, it says, then the other disciple, John's referring to himself as the other disciple here. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. And I find it interesting that even on such a serious moment as their resurrection, the gospel writers include things that are humorous. You may have missed it. Right here, it says, who had reached the tomb first. What's John saying? John's saying that he and Peter, when they heard the tomb was empty, that they were in a foot race. <laughs> and John's letting us know that he won the foot race and he got there first. It says, when he went in, he saw and he believed. Because of the other gospel accounts, we know that John saw the empty tomb, that he saw the empty grave clothes, and he saw the face cloth that had covered the face of the dead body of Jesus. And it says, when he saw all that was empty, that he believed. In this moment, all those things that were empty, they stirred the faith of John and he believed. Now, it may be that right now you sense emptiness in your own life because right before someone has faith, they often feel very empty and you may feel empty today. And if you do, if you feel empty, if you have emptiness in your life today, it's a sign that you're ready for God to stir faith in you. Because on the best day ever, emptiness stirs faith. We continue on in our text in Matthew chapter 28, verse 7 and 8. The angel is still speaking in this moment. And the angel says, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Man, this news, it travels fast. News is so powerful, isn't it? And in this moment, they receive you know, news that changes everything. And that's how you know this is the best day ever. And this is number three, is because on the best day ever, news actually brings hope. And that's how you know it's the best day ever because news does not usually bring hope. News usually does the opposite. We have a lot of news that's stirring hopelessness, not hope. And when we are totally focused on bad news and the bad news that's happening all around us, it produces hopelessness in us. And up until this moment, these women, all they understood was the bad news. But in this moment, the angel of the Lord is giving them news that brings them hope. We see from the gospel accounts in Luke chapter 24, verse five, this great question that the angel asks. And the angel says, why do you seek the living among the dead? 
Jesus Christ is alive. Why are you looking for him where those who are dead remain? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. That was Friday. And on the third day, rise. And that's Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday morning. And the angel is saying, this, this Jesus, he, he, he's not here. He's alive. And you know, right before someone experiences hope, they're often hopeless. And these women were hopeless in this moment until they heard the news that brought them hope. You may sense hopelessness in your own life today. You may feel hopeless. And if you feel hopeless today, I want you to be encouraged that you're ready for God to bring good news of hope to you. Because on the best day ever, the news brings hope. We continue on in our text in Matthew chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. These are the last two verses from our text. And it says, and behold, and now it's not the angel of the Lord speaking. No, no, someone else, someone else shows up. It says, Jesus met them and said, greetings. The one that they thought was dead is now introducing himself to them as alive. And Jesus, that they thought was dead, that they were coming to bring spices and ointment to because they thought he was still in the tomb, he now is standing in front of them alive and he introduces himself to them alive and says, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. That was their response to seeing Jesus alive as they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Again, now this message of casting out fear by the love of God, it comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Oh, this is incredible, incredible moment. This is how you know it's the best day ever. And this is number four, is that on the best day ever, death introduces life. And you say, well, that sounds weird, death introducing life. No, life comes before death. Well, not in this moment because they came to serve a dead body of Jesus. And in this moment, he's introducing themself, himself to them as alive. It's incredible. In fact, Paul, he writes to the church in Corinth and he, he tells them about how this is, this is the most important thing. This is the most important news that can be shared. It's the, it's the most important thing that can be shared with someone. He says, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that one, Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. The scriptures foretold that Jesus would die on the cross for our sins. Two, that he was buried. And that's what these women came to see. They came to see a buried Jesus. But three, they didn't stay buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The scriptures foretold the fact that Jesus' body would not see decay and that he would be raised to new life. The, the Bible foretells that this moment is gonna take place. And Paul's saying, this is the most important thing that I can share with you. And I received it myself. And then he goes on to say that in verse five, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. At one moment, 500 people at the same moment saw the resurrected Jesus Christ alive. 
And then he appeared uh, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time this was written, though some had been fallen asleep. And then in verse seven, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. And what he's saying in that moment is all these other people Jesus appeared to after the resurrection and before he was glorified, before he ascended into heaven. But after he ascended into heaven, Paul's saying he appeared to me even from the glories of heaven, the resurrected Jesus Christ has appeared to me as one who was untimely born, one who was not a contemporary at the same time as Jesus that from the glories of the throne room of heaven, the resurrected Jesus appeared to Paul. You know, you might sense right now that you're spiritually dead. There's some dead things in your life. There's dead places in your life. And the encouragement I would give you is that Jesus brings life. And, and right before someone experiences spiritual life, always, they have a spiritual death. And if you sense that you're in a place right now where your soul is dead, your spiritual life is dead, I wanna encourage you that you're ready for Jesus to bring new spiritual life to you. And this is number four, is that on the best day ever, death actually introduces life in Ephesians chapter two, verses four and five, it says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, it says this, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and that this life is in his son and whoever has the son has life. And the verse goes on to say that if you don't have the son, if you don't have Jesus, then you don't have the life. So the question really for you is, are you ready to experience the best day ever. See, you might be experiencing the worst day ever right now, and your day may be full of fear. You, you might be experiencing your worst day ever, and your day is full of emptiness. You might be experiencing the worst day ever, and, and your day, it is full of bad news that is discouraging you. And you might be experiencing the worst day ever, and there is many places in your life that you would categorize as dead. And if you're having the worst day ever, you are ready for Jesus to show up and give you the best day ever. Because on the best day ever, Jesus brings love to you that casts out your fear. And on the best day ever, Jesus gives you a gift of faith that removes the places of emptiness in your life. And on the best day ever, Jesus brings you hope. It's the best news ever. It's, it's the good news of the gospel of salvation in Jesus. And on the best day ever, Jesus gives eternal life as a free gift to all who will believe in him. Because on the best day ever, Jesus takes people and he transforms them from death into life. 
And you may be saying, well, how can I, how can I experience that? How can I have this become my best day ever? That today, it wouldn't just be a celebration of the best day ever in history, but today would be a celebration of my best day ever because Jesus is gonna change my life today and Jesus is gonna save my life today. Well, in, in, in the book of Acts, it, it simplifies it really into just one statement and I would share it with you. that This is what you need to do to experience today as your best day ever. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, it's this simple. It's believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Place your faith in the Lord Jesus, the one who was crucified on the cross for your sin. He was buried and then he rose again to new life, conquering sin and death when he walked out of that tomb. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And then what takes place when you do that? You will be saved. You'll experience salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You might right now be saying, I want that. I want to believe in the Lord Jesus. I want to experience salvation. I want that. I want that love that God wants to give me. I want that faith that God wants to give me. I want that hope that God wants to give me. I want that life that God wants to give me. I want to do that now. I want to believe in the Lord Jesus and I want to be saved. Well, I want to encourage you right now. Let's bow in prayer together and let's let God know that. Let's tell him that we want to believe in him right now for our salvation. And so I encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes wherever you are and let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we come before you in this moment. And Lord, there's a lot of us and we're spread out all over the place. Hey, this is not just in Modesto or Ceres or Stanislaus County. It's not even in just in California. It's not even just in the United States. We have people right now, we know right now are watching literally all over the world, all over the globe. And so God, you see into every place that we are. You're a God who sees and you see right where we are. And Lord, you know the condition of our heart and you know the condition of our soul. And so God, we bow before you. And Lord, just simply right now, all of us who are wanting to express our desire for salvation, Lord, we simply say to you, Lord, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, we want salvation. We want to be saved. Lord, we believe we are placing our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we recognize that Jesus Christ died on, our, on a cross for our sin, that he was buried, and that he rose again to new life on that resurrection Sunday, that he conquered sin and death, and that he conquered sin and death in my own life. And so, Lord, together, right now, we are acknowledging to you, God, that we are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And so, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for saving us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our resurrected Savior. And all God's family said, amen, amen.
You know what happens in this moment when believers place their faith in Jesus Christ? The scriptures tell us that heaven erupts in celebration, that heaven erupts because of, of the fact that you have acknowledged Jesus Christ and you are trusting in Jesus for your salvation. And, and we want to celebrate with you. And, and I would encourage you just to do uh, something very simple. And then I have an invitation for you. My encouragement is right at the top of the watch live screen, you'll see a menu. And if you click on that menu, you'll see that there's a connect card. Now, you may have already filled out a Connect card once. Uh, that's okay. Fill it out again. It'll take you 30 seconds. You put your name and your contact information and then go all the way down to the bottom of that Connect card. There's a box at the bottom and it says, Today, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Today, I have asked for the forgiveness of God. I've asked for Jesus to be my Savior. Just check that box and let us know. It'll take you 30 seconds because here's why. I want to be praying for you. We want to be praying for you. We want to celebrate with you that today became your best day ever. You know, and I just want to extend an invitation to all of you. We've got a class. It's an online class. It's starting Monday evening. I'm going to be a part of the class. And, and I want to invite you to be my special and my honored guest. That together, that we would go through this class. It's called the follow class. And it's just a moment on Monday nights. It'll be live online where we'll walk through some of the basic ways that we can learn how to follow Jesus. And so would you be my guest? Would you be my guest at the follow class. I'd love to be in that class with you. Hasn't this been a great day? I'm trusting for many of you, today has been the best day ever.